Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Jesse Romero, Ruben Nava, and we're here to bring you some Catholic intel and um, just give you uh, just give you some briefing of what's going on in the world. We it's a lot going on right now. I tell you. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, Ruben. Reporting for duty, sir. Yep, a lot to, uh, going on here, but uh, this is the month of Mary, so the uh, Blessed Virgin Mary, a Virgin uh, most powerful, Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Yes, yes. Uh, also, the uh, Cinco de Mayo. You know, so. Which means it, it's kind of an irrelevant uh, here. <laughs> yeah, I, people make a big deal about it. My parents are my, my, half my family's from Mexico. Nobody celebrates it over there. No. Uh, it's just another day to get buy some Coronas and party. It's uh, in Mexico. That's it's not the, not even the, no. the Independence Day in Mexico. Yeah, it's more of a Mexican American. Let's party day. That's what it is. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, what is it? September sixteenth or something like that. The original? yeah, September sixteenth was uh, Mexican Independence Day. About heck, about a hundred years before. Uh, before the battle of between Mexico and France, when France was world power, yeah, yeah. now that's just yeah. another, yeah, like you said, another day, to- another day to party. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. They just they've attached they've attached this day to the beer industry. That's all they've done. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Hey, Jesse, you pull up a a, a good article on a um, a prominent gay atheist in the world economic most world. evil man in the world right now, probably. My goodness, uh, I I hadn't heard I hadn't heard of him, and I looked him up, and and he's. One of the most Dangerous. influential yeah, figures. He's, he's sold millions of books, and his his books have already been de- debunked. But, uh, you know, anyway, let's get into this, Jesse. And on the other side of the break, we have a, a guest coming on. So um, we'll talk about this in the first yeah. segment. Let's talk about the most disturbing, prominent homosexual atheist. Uh, he's also a uh, the, the basically the right-hand man of uh, Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. His name's Yuval. Noah Harari. He's an Israeli. He's a highly influential figure in modern politics. But why is he so involved? Well, when you look at his ideas and beliefs, you begin to see his motivation. He's a he's a he's a godless secular humanist who's infiltrated the highest place in Judaism. He's a lecturer at the Department of History in the University of uh, Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Uh, Yuval Harari utilizes history, philosophy, and biology in his reflections on what he believes are the most important global challenges facing the world today. And he strives to focus the public conversation on these issues. You know, there was another Israeli that wrote the first five books of the Bible to tell us about God. That's Moses. Uh, Yuval Harari, he's written five books that describes his worldview and what he thinks uh, others ought to prioritize. He also co-founded a social impact company called Sapienship with projects in the fields of entertainment and education, with the man he refers to as <clears throat> his husband, uh, Itzik Yahav. That's right, I said his husband. We'll get to that in a moment. Well, this company, Sapienship, advocates for global responsibility. He's a globalist. Uh, he's a god, again, he's a godless secular humanist. So this company has a mission to clarify the global conversation to focus us on the most important challenges and to support the quest for solutions. So this sapienship uh, company of his highlights three problems. Technological disruption, ecological collapse, and the nuclear threat. Ruben? And so, yeah, he, he, Harari mentions his husband in multiple interviews. 
you know, he admits with pride that being homosexual affects his research. No kidding, huh? Which serves as a major indicator of his worldview. In this same interview, he rationalizes homosexuality on the grounds that, quote, anything that exists is by definition natural. Hmm. What a loose um, definition. Harari, he argues that there's no purpose to sex. Comparing human sexuality with the sexuality of a chimpanzee, he continues claiming that the idea that sex exists only for the purpose of procreation is complete nonsense and invented by priests and rabbis. He says, in, in truth, our concepts of natural and unnatural are not taken from biology. They are taken from Christian theology, he adds. So as we know, God created man to be superior to all animals, but Harari reduces humanity to its base animal level, describing God as a myth, a big man in the sky who gets angry when two men love one another. And continue, continuing with this language, he says that no big man in the sky gets angry. The only people who get angry are all sorts of priests and rabbis. He fleshes out this idea of religion as mythology in his book, Sapiens, describing how humans became the dominant creature on, on the earth. Yuval Harari's website, official website, describes the first book as the one that analyzes various topics following humanity's development across history and ranging from, he says, quote, we rule the world because we are the only animal that believes in things that exist purely in our imagination, such as gods, states, money, and human rights. He says, with the help of novel technologies within a few uh, centuries or even decades, sapiens will upgrade themselves into completely different beings, enjoying godlike qualities and abilities. Yeah, this guy wants to connect us to the Internet and he wants to move us into what's called transhumanism, Ruben. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah. So in one of the chapters of his book, Harari, he claims that we assume that a large brain, the use of tools, superior learning abilities and complex social structures are, are huge advantages. It seems self-evident that these have made humankind the most powerful animal on earth. But, but humans enjoyed all these advantages for a full two million years while remaining weak and marginal creatures. And then in his next chapter, he explains the, that his theory of war, having so recently been one of the underdogs of the savannah, we are full of fears and anxieties over our position, which makes us doubly cruel and dangerous. And uh, many historical calamities from deadly wars to ecological catastrophes have, re has resulted from this over hasty jump. And then further on in his book, uh, Jesse says, fiction has enabled us not merely to imagine things, but to do so collectively. We can weave common myths such as biblical creation story, the dreamtime myths of Aboriginal Australians, and the nationalist myths of modern states. Such myths give sapiens the unprecedented ability to cooperate flexibly in large numbers. Go ahead, Jeff. Here's uh, where he picks up from his book, Sapiens. These are two powerful statements that he makes which shows you his godless worldview. He says this, Homo Deus, uh, a sapiens left off, Homo Deus, his other book, he says, explores how global power might shift as a principal force of evolution. Natural selection, see, he's, giving, he's, he's telling you where he's coming from, mm -hmm. is replaced by intelligent design. So he, he criticizes intelligent design, the fact that there's a God who created everything out of nothing. Uh, he's, he's, he's criticizing that because he knows that that replaces evolution and natural selection. Harari reiterates this idea in multiple talks about technology. Look what he says, quote, We humans should get used to the idea that we're no longer mysterious souls. We are now hackable animals, close quote. 
again, he, he's the one that wants to connect us to the Internet so that we can, we can have eternal life here on Earth. Later on in the article, he says, he suggests uh, there is no, no such thing as freedom and there's no free will. He claims, Yuval Harari claims that free will has, was always a myth and not a scientific reality. Uh, examining Yuval, Yuval Harari, just looking at him, Ruben, and his writings, <clears throat> it just reminds me of what uh, Servant of God, Father John Hardin says. Uh, he says, nothing blinds the intellect more than sexual moral sin. Think about that. Yeah. Nothing blinds the intellect more than sexual moral sin. This guy's a practicing homosexual, a secular humanist, and this guy, his intellectual processes, uh, I mean, he's, this guy's an Israeli. This guy completely rejects the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his fathers. And uh, it, it, it also, he also reminds me, and this is why people get so easily manipulated when they're homosexuals. Here's what happens. Father Gabriel Morth, Vatican exorcist, rest in peace, passed away 2016. He says this. The devil will try ever will, will 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 try ever more to trick a man to misuse his body to become an occasion of sin. So Father Amor says that the demons, what they're always getting men to do specifically, they try to trick men to force men to misuse their body to become an occasion of sin. And Saint Jerome says, uh, he says when you when you've embraced a lack of chastity. He says, you're going to teach heresy. So I, I know this guy's not Catholic, but he, you know, he was born and raised a Jew. Yep. And so even Jews have the Ten Commandments. They have a moral compass. Mm -hmm. But like St. Jerome says, the father of the church, when you embrace uh, unchastity, sexual permissiveness, it affects the way you think. He says, it's rare to find a heretic that loves chastity. And I'll say the same thing, even though he's not Catholic, he's Jew. Mm -hmm. If he's going to reject uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Ten Commandments... Uh, he, he's he, he again. He's he's an Israeli heretic. Uh, again, you'll always find that somebody that embraces a life of unchastity, uh, they all they'll they'll also reject doctrinal purity. Mm, yeah, you know he. Um, I was I was looking at some of the things that he he's written and and it says that when they asked him if he believed in God, he says, "If I believe in God at all, it's my choice to believe. If my inner self tells me to believe in God, then I believe. I believe because I f I feel God's presence." And my heart tells me that he is there. But if I no longer feel God's presence, and if my heart suddenly tells me there's no God, I will cease believing. You know, Jess, we don't, our, our faith isn't about emotions. You know, <laughs> we, 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 we've been given the truth. And so whether we feel like it or not, God is always present. And uh, he hears us, you know, he, uh, he answers our prayer, prayers. He, um, and he's there for us. So it, it doesn't matter. This is, it's, we don't go off emotions, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, a, fe a fellow Jew answers him of St. Paul in Romans chapter 1, says that we know God through reason. Yeah. And, and Vatican I, 200 years ago, quoted St. Paul and says, yeah, you can know God through reason alone, not even by faith. Just by reason alone, you can know God. And they, uh, they use St. Paul's arguments for Romans chapter 1. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, this is this is someone that a lot of the, the world, uh, the globalists are, are looking to for leadership. And this guy's uh, he's a, and he's a young guy, Ruben. Dangerous. Yeah, he's a mess. On the other side of the break, we have a, a, a great young guest coming on. He's going to uh, tell us about his redemption. His Catholic faith. I love these stories. Yeah. Now. 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. I want to introduce uh, our guest. Um, Michael Love is with us today. I, I I came across Michael's some of his social media posts, uh, and I, I, I liked some of the well, all of the things he was, the motivational uh, things he was posting, and, and but especially the Catholic things he was posting. And uh, I said, this guy's running a boxing gym with a lot of youth in there. And um, so I, I'd like to, I wanted to meet him. And lo and behold, when I reached out to him, he, he's he's attending the same church I attend. So we, <laughs> wow. we ran into each other this past <laughs> Sunday. We spoke. Uh, Michael's got a, a tremendous story. So uh, welcome to the show, Michael. Um just uh we're gonna ask you some questions you're gonna tell us your story it's it's a powerful story i know people uh are going to glean a, a lot of things from this and, and maybe they can relate some and some people some of our listeners may have gone through some similar struggles but briefly um you know tell us what you're doing at this time before we we get into the the how your journey started well you guys can hear me right yeah perfect okay all right perfect I appreciate you calling me young, Ruben. <laughs> I'm like 50 years old, but compared to me, I'll Jesse. take it. I'll take it. Exactly. <laughs> compared but, to us, you're uh, young. Go ahead, Jesse. Compared to us, you're young. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, as far as what I'm doing right now, obviously, I own a gym here in Victorville, California. I've owned a gym here for about 15 years. Right behind me is actually St. Joan Catholic Church. Uh, I could pretty much throw a rock and hit the uh, hit the front door with it if I wanted to. But I've been across the street from the church uh, for a while uh, running the boxing gym for youth, for amateurs and, and as far as uh, professionals as well. Um, you know, and they and and now since we, we actually just got the one of the priests from uh, uh, Ontario, uh, he's uh, from Nigeria, I believe, and he's. Now he has uh, a Eucharistic chapel and it's nice. I can just walk across the street and walk into the, the, the chapel and go to adoration. So it's pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. Jesse, uh, by the way, Michael has, uh, you of him have met. Um, Michael. Yeah. I remember it's been years, but uh, good to see you again. And you know what yeah, I like, sure. I, I like to see, um, uh, a, a, a man's journey of faith because i'll tell you one thing if there's something that pisses the devil off more than anything else is a man that surrenders himself to, in the service of jesus christ because the, the demon knows that a man has patriarchal authority over the wife over the children and uh a man sways a lot of spiritual power so uh michael i could just tell you this that you've put a big smile on our lord and our lady and you've put a big old uh you've given a big old headache uh, to the to the enemy. So good for you, bro. Continue. I appreciate that. So talk. So yeah, how did it all begin? Were you born and raised Catholic? You know, um, I I was not baptized at birth. I, uh, you know, my my family they talked a little bit about God. You know, during the holidays, things like that. But I mean, we knew who God was, but we really didn't. You know, there was no Catholic upbringing or anything like that. We, you know. It was a pretty secular life, you know, for the first part, you know, up until about nine years old. Yeah. So what happened? What were some of the things that happened? Well, you know, like I said, it was pretty normal. You know, I we would sit down, uh, you know, like every family, five o'clock, eat dinner. Uh, and then ar right around eight or nine, my mother had 
got nail, God rest her soul. She just died uh, in August. She was a good lady uh, for sure, but she got sick and uh, wouldn't come out of her room. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you're like, what's going on here? Like, where's, you know, what's, what's wrong? And, you know, the day went by the next day, the next day, the next day, you know, and then at the time, you know, we, you know, question my stepfather, like what's wrong. She's in there crying all the time, you know, uh, screaming, uh, in a dark room windows, you know, curtains, you know, now when I look back, I just feel like the devil was instrumental in just destroying my mother's mental capabilities and everything like that. You know, you guys know a lot about that. That's not my cup of tea, you know, but, uh, you know, eventually they diagnosed her with a, uh, she, that she had a nervous breakdown and, uh, agoraphobia. And you could imagine like the journey after that, they, they put her on tons of medication Thorazine. Hmm. you guys know the names. I mean, yeah. All it did was make her worse. And how old were you at this time, Michael? I mean, I was eight or nine years old. So living a pretty normal life up to that time, mm-hmm. everything much just fell apart at that. You know, the family structure just. Yeah. Yeah. Just fell apart. And you had been uh, estranged from your from your biological dad? Yes. Uh, he was uh, my my biological dad was a military man. Um, and uh, they shipped him all over the world. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, he, he, they, my parents were divorced due to my father's addiction to marijuana and other drugs that he took later on. My mother kept dumping them down the toilet and, you know, mm-hmm. part of, part of, partly, probably the reason why she later on had a met, you know, they were married 12 years and their marriage fell apart due to drugs, due to marijuana. Mm-hmm. So how did that affect your mental uh, outlook and, and, your childhood life what happened then well at that point in time you know the the supervision for me was not there so i was able to run free mm. you know and, you know as a kid you're trying to figure things out you don't have a lot of structure so uh, at that time i just uh you know just started hanging out with the neighborhood friends uh you know and you could imagine what what happened at that point uh, so you um, did, did you start dabbling in uh, some illicit drugs? Yeah, I, at that point in time, um, obviously, I was introduced to marijuana. And, you know, it's hard for me not to have a, a hatred of the drug now, especially with everything that's going on and people talking about how normal it is. And, you know, the first time I, I tried it, I was I was addicted from the first the first time I ever tried it. The addictive principles are, you know, insane. Michael, can you imagine that was back then when you were when you were a young man? I've read many studies that the marijuana that they're using now is much, much more potent than the marijuana that was around 20, 30 years ago. And so imagine if you're talking about the addictive components that uh, that basically, you know, had a, had a stranglehold on you. Can you imagine the things today? I, I, know, I know there are family members of mine their children are in drug rehabs right now mm-hmm. over marijuana not not coke not heroin not methyl strictly marijuana that's how powerful the drug is today so yeah i think you me and, and ruben ruben worked narcotics for many years we share this dislike for marijuana because it, it is destroying our children and it's a pumping all kinds of money into the uh, into the pockets of the mexican cartels mm-hmm 
it, it's terrible. And, you know, I deal with it a lot and I've had, and I'll leave their names out of it, but I've had uh, undefeated professional fighters who start using marijuana and it just, their career goes to the, to the tank after they're not able to throw punches, you know, they start holding back on stuff. Their, their reaction time is done, you know, and, and I, I'm not, I'm no, I, I tell them straight out, you know, I tell them, you know, the, the dangers of it. I, I've, I've fought with family members over it that still think it, it not only destroyed me growing up and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on that, you know, cause I, the stories are so deep that yeah. I, and pa- you know, and painful. Yeah, they're painful. And, Every single one of my family members, we're talking cousins, my uncles, they all, you know, they started with marijuana. Uh, they never reached their full potential in life. They just became, you know, they're, you're not going to become the best version of yourself getting high every day. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's what I tell people. That yeah. You're not going to get to where you're going to go. <laughs> Michael, that's one of the best lines I've ever heard to describe marijuana. What you just said right now unlocked something in my mind. You just said uh, people will not become uh, or reach their 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 maximum potential. What do you say about something about they will not reach their what potential? You're never gonna you're never gonna reach your full potential. There you go. There you go. Weed every day. It's that not gonna powerful, happen. That is a, that's a powerful statement you just made right now because I, I that's absolutely spot on. This is what I've seen my entire life. They don't reach their full potential. You're right. Their their emotional, intellectual, even physical uh, growth is stunted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did that, uh, was that a, a gateway to other drugs, Michael? Um, yeah. I mean, um, you know, obviously you, you take the combination of a broken down family and the uh, availability of drugs. I mean, we, there were times after this all happened, we didn't have any electricity in the house. Wow. You know, we were heating bath water up on the stove. You know, you could imagine I would wake up in the morning and you know, clean my nose out from the, we'd have kerosene lanterns, you know, cleaning the black stuff out of my nose, but you know, eventually, you know, you're around the drug culture, you're around the marijuana culture. It's not going to just be the marijuana culture. Next thing you know, it's the meth culture, you know, and you guys being in law enforcement, I mean, you can, I don't even begin to talk about what meth does to the human person. I mean, yeah. And then you just, you add the two together. Michael, Michael, you've probably seen a lot of good amateurs and pros. Their lives, have, their careers have been destroyed as a result of going down that rabbit hole, marijuana, meth, etc. You've probably seen some real talent uh, completely wasted away as a result of uh, uh, of those two narcotics, correct? Yes, correct. As a matter of fact, and uh, because these guys that they're still active, uh, one of them was, let's just say he was 10 and 0 before when he was introduced i mean at 15 and 0 as a fighter in his weight division you could be fighting for some real money on television and meets a girl introduces him to marijuana he starts smoking he stops showing up to the gym you know and now i'm hearing you know like oh his life's so difficult and you know i i let him know like look a lot of your you know what does a prophet once say your pain is self-chosen like you chose that yeah you know, uh, your life's messed up because you the dis- free will, like you guys were talking about, there's no free will in the first segment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. chose that. You right. decided to party every day and not show up to the gym. Now you have nothing. You have no job. You have nothing at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, uh, sports is a springboard to, you know, just opening up doors for you. And, uh, 
and, and you know, being a coach for many years myself, I not in boxing, but but in soccer, and and it's just um, you know, it, it teaches you life lessons, you know, and mm-hmm. you're going in there, and I, I know boxing is an individual sport, but you know, a lot of times you're you're fighting for your you know for your club or your gym or you know and you're bringing uh awareness to to the, the place that they that you you train at and so for for them to to not be part of that team because they they the decisions they're making to use you know illicit drugs it's uh it's a shame um so going now at some point um michael what were you introduced to the catholic faith in, in, through uh, through a school i believe we talked about well actually that's an interesting story too it's uh you know so obviously uh, my my mother was institutionalized in and out of San Antonio Hospital. It's a local hospital here where they it's a, there's a psych ward. Right. And, okay. So hey, Michael, hold that thought. We're coming up on a break. We'll we'll be uh, back on the other side of the break, and we're gonna pick up. Uh, we're talking to Michael Love, boxing trainer and a Catholic who is helping many young kids uh, try to get their lives together. Be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We're back. Um, we have a guest, uh, Michael Love, boxing trainer, Catholic, and uh, he's uh, he's got a, a story uh, and a journey uh, into the Catholic faith that, uh, that has really uh, changed the direction of his life. And um, we were talking about the on the last uh, segment. You were started talking about the schooling and how you got uh, into a Catholic school. At the- well, it's funny how God uh, brings you know good out of bad. But it was the sixth grade. I was it was the second day of school, and obviously in my own personal life, and I kept a lot of it hidden at the time uh, from my friends and things like that. You know, you're not going to tell your friends you got no electricity at home. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. but That's uh, cool. Yeah, it's not cool. It's not acceptable. Yeah. Um, so I'm sitting in the first row in this, in sixth grade, second day of school. And the guy next to me is just he keeps, you know, hitting me on the arm, hit me on the arm. And I, I kept looking at him and I said, like, stop hitting me on the arm. I'm, I'm going to let you know one time. But to make a long story short, a fight broke out <laughs> in the second day of school. Um, you know, I was just letting all my emotions out. Uh, so, you know, that wasn't a good thing. So this, the school wanted to suspend me for three days. And my mom always had a rule when, when we were growing up, she said, like, don't ever make sure they always hit you first, but don't make sure you defend yourself. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was really defense. I probably could have just told the teacher it got out of it, but um, <laughs> bearing the circumstances, but my mom, because of that, the way she was about that, you know, we went to the school district uh, and she's like, no, I'm not going to, my son's not going to be suspended for three days. I'm pulling you out of public school. And I was like, what do you mean you're pulling me out of public school? So she's like, I'm putting you in Catholic school, St. Joseph's Academy. I like, I have no Catholic background at this point in time. You're going to St. Joseph's Academy in Fontana, California. They don't even have that school. Breaks my heart that these Catholic schools have closed by the way, because it was a good school. Hmm. Um, so they put me in Catholic school. I don't know how they did it because they had no money. I don't know who was paying the tuition. Mm-hmm. 
but I went to, I went to Catholic school from sixth grade, half a sixth grade, but my, uh, you know, it, it was there that, you know, it would at the time, because my mother was in and out of the hospital, they would just, at the time, St. Joseph's had a convent next to the church and there were still nuns living in there. So they would drop me off at five in the morning and I'd go in the back room of this convent, go to daily mass. I wouldn't know what to do. You know, wow. I go into daily mass and, uh, you know, afterwards there, they would try to feed me cereal. The sisters that were there, I'm like, I don't want cereal. Then they bring me donuts. I'd eat the donuts, you know, typical kid. Right. Yeah. Like my, my faith and the people that were there, uh, really just planted a seed in me that there was something more. And at the time when I had really no family structure, it really became part of the family structure. It gave me a little bit to cling to at that time. And, you know, you could see how God was working through that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and honestly, I went to St. Joseph's from sixth grade halfway through because um, at that point in time, my mom's like, there's nobody taking care of you. We're going to find your dad. They contacted the Red Cross. So they, they found him in West Germany. This is before it was still East and West Germany at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they contacted my dad, uh, you know, and I haven't, I didn't know who he was. So they, they put me on a plane, you know, Oh wow! and send me, send me to live in West Germany. Oh, so I'm getting off a plane in West Germany, meeting a dad I never, you know, met before. And, you know, he, you know, he taught me some things. He's, he's not a, and I still don't talk to him to this day, but um, I spent six months living on a base in Minden, West Germany on a British American base with British kids. Uh, and then they flew us back to, uh, uh, to Oklahoma, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And then I ended up back, back home in California and they put me back in Catholic school. Mm. So were you able to make your sacraments there or, uh... I did. I, I actually was able my, at the time my mother was being counseled by a priest and a psychologist to try to heal her emotional state. And uh, so they got, uh, they went to the Bishop and said, because my mother was, she could die or she was suicidal at the time. Let's go ahead and get all three of his sacraments at one time. Mm -hmm. So they gave, they gave me the triple sevens on uh, Easter. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) They gave me all of it. Um, The grand, the grand slam, the (laughs) grand slam. Good. good. Yeah. But, uh, but still that you're, even with that, uh, you mentioned to me off the air, off uh, air that uh, you had uh, there was a suicide attempt that you were still having uh, trouble. And at, at this point, were you off the drugs, Michael? No, I mean the drug the drug addiction actually lasted about seven years. I could probably talk about this for three hours, but mm-hmm. uh, we gotta yeah we gotta keep it short, you know. Yeah. But uh, I ended up addicted to marijuana and meth pretty bad. Um, I mean there were. I would just, I ended up, my mother at the time, she had, uh, she was still trying to heal. And the doctor said, you know, you need to go back and see your real father. Um, And uh, so she ended up moving back to New York. And actually this is, I want to say it was like 12 or 13, basically abandoned at that point in time. And uh, at the point I didn't know where I was going to go. So I, you know, found one of my druggy friends and he said I could, he's sleep in his garage on a, on a couch um with 
trash and rat infestation. I mean, there were times I'd wake up in the morning, have like scratches on the bottom of my leg from, from, from the rats. Well, picking on my leg while I'm sleeping at night. Mm. But I was just, I was in a severe depressed state. Uh, I guess that's why I have such a, I shouldn't have a hatred for, for the drugs, but. Um, well, that, it, that's okay. <laughs> we have a hatred for the yeah. drugs too. Yeah. <laughs> um, just cause of what it does to the people. It just yeah, sucks this absolutely. life out of. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So yeah. I mean, go ahead, Ruben. All right. So yeah. Jesse, do you want to ask him a question? Yeah, there's nothing wrong. God says that we should hate evil, and uh, the whole drug industry is evil. By the way, over in California, I just read an, an article a couple of months ago. It says that the Mexican cartel runs 90% of the marijuana industry in California. 90 And think about that. Somebody says, well, you know, what, how does it affect me? I just smoke a, you know, a joint here in my backyard and just kick back, and it relaxes me. That joint put money into some cartel's pocket, and that cartel member is using little boys to run his drugs. He's taking women and making them prostitutes, forced prostitution, uh, brothels in Mexico. And he's also uh, killing his enemies. Uh, and he's also, uh, again, uh, using all this ill, uh, all this money for, for, for just, a, just to continue to perpetuate this industry, this cycle of, of depression and violence and faithlessness and Satanism. Uh, anytime you smoke a joint, you're contributing money and putting it one to the in, into the pockets of one of the cartels. Mm. Yeah, good stuff, Jess. So at at so at, at this point, you're you're just going out of control now. You're you're living in oh yeah, and and it's just your life is getting worse um, now. Were you still going to school at that point or, or was that? Dumb? No, I, uh, and even to this day, people are surprised because I, I, after I graduated from Catholic school and that was only by the grace of God, cause I had a lot of good people helping me, tutoring me and things like that. Uh, they, uh, I graduated. And, uh, after that I went to the junior high for maybe a week or two. And that once they put me in detention, I never went back, you know, and there was nobody to, they did my parent. There was nobody there at home. Mm. So they didn't know if I was going to school or not. Mm. I just go into my friend's house. Michael, it seems, it seems to me like if you could really, you could identify with the father stew movie that just came out a few weeks ago. <laughs> right. I haven't yeah, seen look, it, but I need to go second. No, as, as I'm listening to you talk right now, I'm saying, yeah, you need to go watch that movie. You're going to be able to really identify with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, uh, so you're addicted to marijuana. You're addicted to meth. you you, you've run away. Uh, and you attempted suicide. How did all of these things coalesce? Uh, and how was it that through through all this madness and this this confusion, how was it that your Catholic faith started putting your life back together little by little? Well, it was more, yeah, you know, I had that basis, you know, that little basis, that little seed that was planted. So in when I was living in the garage, I would walk up. My friend lived just a block away from St. Joseph's. So I'd go and I'd sit in the grotto. I'd sit there in front of the Blessed Mother statue. And I would just cry out to God, like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to fix all this mess? You know, and you, there were no answers. You know, I, you just, you know, a lot of times it's silence. But, you know, and I would just sit there. And I, there were times I would sit pouring rain, uh, but 
eventually I reached that state of depression where, you know, I, I decided I was going to take my own life. Um, and at that time, my mom had returned back from New York. So I was staying with her and I took a, I took a bottle of pills. I downed them and she found out she called nine, uh, nine one, one. And, uh, you know, they took me to the hospital obviously, and they put a rammed a tube down my, I'll never forget it. You know, terrible, you know, yeah. it's as vivid as you can imagine. They put a tube, you know, the, these tubes, you guys might know, you guys are in law enforcement. So they put a tube all the way down my throat mm. into my stomach and pumped all the, the pills out. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, it was a deep, dark time, you know, of my life, obviously. And I was very young at the time. And, uh, so, you know, obviously after they pumped my stomach, they put me in an institution, you know, uh, three day hold 72 hour hold, you know, because I was a threat to myself mm -hmm. and it was there that, you know, even, uh, even there I had, uh, you know, the chaplain, he wasn't Catholic at the time, but he came and he, you know, he prayed for me and, you know, it, it was, you know, obviously there was a lot of tears and pain involved in, in that whole process. But, you know, you would think that even with all that pain, you I got out of the hospital and I just back to my old tricks because mm. of the, the, the strength of the addiction is is insane. Mm. You know? um, wow. But hey, on the other side of the break here, Michael, we, we're coming up on another one. We're going to talk about the, the redemption and, and, and got it. Yeah. Right. We're going to we're, we're going to end this on a happy note. And, That's right. Uh, talk about what you're doing with the kids and in the gym and. We'll be right back. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. Jesus 911, or iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, and uh, we have Michael Love, a guest with us today. He's a, a practicing Catholic, uh, running a boxing gym where he's got a lot of uh, young men and women under his uh, tutelage, and uh, and and we're to, now we're at the point, Mike, Michael, in your story where we're going to talk about the redemption and and how you got back on your feet. Um, we're and we're yeah, we're going to see okay. where this goes. All right. All right. So um, basically, after all that, uh, you know, I got through all that. I got through the drug addiction and things like that. Uh, you know, I uh, I started to dabble in my Catholic faith, so to speak. So, you know, at the time with no education, I got a library card. I went down to Fontana Library, went down the spiritual section. <laughs> One of the first books I grabbed was St. Augustine Confessions. <laughs> oh, wow. In a public library. Imagine that. <laughs> right. So, you know, obviously I started with the gospels, but then I, I, you know, expanded my, my, my thinking and I would, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of education, so I had to pretty much teach myself. I mean, so it was, it, and then I'm, I'm, I'm renting books, say, uh, Thomas Aquinas, you know, one and two can't understand anything in there. I got a yellow pad and a dictionary. I'm writing down every word, trying to understand what it means and <laughs> moving on from that. Uh, you know, I, I enrolled in college classes. I could do that without a high school diploma and take as many as, as I want. I did that. Uh, went down their spiritual section, read everything I could in that section. And then, you know, 
uh, my my pathway home was the 10 freeway and uh, uh, what's it, the Catholic Resource Center. I'm driving by one day and I'm wait like, for it. Wait for it, Jesse. Here it comes then. <laughs> what's that? So I go in there and there's this little back room and Jesse doesn't remember. He, there's this guy back there with a Bible open, just like talking to some other guy like, what is this place? There's cassette tapes everywhere. I thought I I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> I was like, I was spending my paychecks, just like, I'll take this conversion story. I'll take this Scott Hunt. I'll take Jesse's, you know, Je- uh, Jesse's cur- conversion story. I mean, <laughs> he looked like he was a lot younger back then. I think oh, this oh, was yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I just, I, I just was just devouring everything I possibly could. As a matter of fact, Jesse probably doesn't even know this, but I was going to his talks like, in at uh in Alhambra at the the Carmelite Center, uh, I would win. He'd do these raffles, and I'd be the. I was always winning these tapes. I was getting more tapes through these <laughs> raffles. So I, you know, you, you remember those, right, Jess? You'd be doing the raffles. Yes, and, yes. Uh, study on Philippians. Here I go, walking wow. down the main aisle. That's mine. Wow. <laughs> but no, I mean, obviously. You know, at that time, you know, with all the apologetics and stuff, I, I, then I'm arguing with everyone, co- trying to convert everyone. I went through that stage, you know, fighting with people <laughs> on social media. You know, I think I'm, I can't even do nothing on Facebook anymore. They don't even let me. I can't even tag anyone. Oh. <laughs> but no, I, uh, so as far as the boxing gym, you know, um, I don't know how I got into boxing. It just kind of fell into my lap. I had a fight when I was, I decided that. 34, I'm going to join a boxing gym. I remember the guy from USA Boxing goes, well, you just missed the mark. At 35, you have to go to the master's division. I'm like, well, I'm fighting anyways. Let's let's do it. So, and then after that, you know, we were teaching kickboxing at the time. I, I tore my arm. It's all scarred up. Uh, had to get Tommy John surgery. But so that, that, that was my story in boxing. You know, as far as sharing my faith in the boxing gym, you know, I, I take up space. When you walk out the door, there's a big St. Joan of Arc picture that says all battles are uh, first won or lost in the mind. There's a big sticker that says St. Michael, pray for us. I don't even think half the kids know what they're doing. <laughs> the, the sticker's all dirty because when they go down the stairs, they hit it. But in a way, you know, and I, and I, talk, I have Catholics and I obviously have people that, you know, you know, I don't allow any profanity in my gym. And I tell people right away, no drugs in my gym. There is, if I smell marijuana, I I fired a coach because he was coming in smelling like skunk. And I said, you're not going to, you can't be here. I got children here. Yeah. You know, you're not going to smoke marijuana, come into my gym. Mm. So, you know, I take up space and they know who I am. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't, I had a Catholic store for about 10 years. And that's back when I hired, when I reached out to you just to do a talk here at St. Joan of Arc. I remember. Uh, how to yeah. Be, yeah. How to be a good Catholic. But, um, I don't have that anymore because I travel a lot, but I, you know, at the time I had a Catholic store inside the boxing gym in the front of the boxing gym. (laughs) I remember a lady came in one time and she's like, I can't believe you have this in here. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm only worried about the things I'm worried. I'm not worried about the body. I'm worried about the soul lady. Just leave me alone. You know, Amen. but yeah, we had a, a, the Catholic store was inside the front of the boxing gym at one point in time. So, you know, it's, I've never, my gym and my faith have been, you know, one, I, when I go to the fights, I have a rosary in my pocket, you know, I, uh, it, it's an interesting, Jesse, you know, the fight business. It's, yeah. it's, 
it's like the NFL. It's like I told Ruben, it's it's woke. You know, I have to maneuver my way around, you know, and yeah, that's right. You know, stay away from people, you know, the sketchy people in the, in the industry. But, yeah. you know, I've been I've been to New Zealand. I've been, uh, you know, I'll probably be at the Honda Center on uh, in August. You know, I have three of the top amateurs in the country. Uh, one girl that's uh, the 154 Olympian for 2024. But I think she's probably going to turn pro. Uh, wow. Well, that's uh, kudos to you, man. You're in the right place. You're exactly where God needs you. God, you know, God needs you in those in those dark places, mm-hmm. because a lot of those people there, when you talk to them one on one, they're searching. They're they're yeah. They're you know they're they're searching for something you know greater than themselves, and uh, that's why God puts people like you in those places. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're able to uh, share your faith. Do you ever pull kids aside, maybe just when they ask? Hey, I do. I uh, you know. I, I always, you know, I have another kid and, and he has a training schedule and I'm like, what's uh, Aren't you supposed to be at church today? You know, I can make my schedule around that. So, and then I, I've had, you know, I have a, I have a heavyweight that's fought Joseph Parker and Luis Ortiz. I mean, he calls me pretty much every day. He's Catholic. And then, you know, I'm like, Alex, are you saying your rosary? Are you going to church? Are you, you know, so there, you know, I, I've had kids that, uh, are suicidal and you know i make them feel like you know they're at home and that people love them and so there's always over the years it's it's been and you know you guys there's there's such these kids most of the kids and i deal with adults too but most of these kids they they really get attacked by the evil one the moment they're born i mean the broken families that i see most of these kids a lot of these kids have no dad at home mm-hmm. Yeah. The most important thing is that father figure at home. And if they do, the father's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. So, Do these kids, do they know your story or is it just something that you, you really don't talk about with them? Or I do once I get to know them a little better. I mean, it's more now a lot of it, you know, you guys, because my mother was very, you know, she was a very private person and she healed up later on. She became an amazing person. Um, but I could never talk about her mental health situation while she was alive. It would have destroyed her. She, she was just that kind of person and she died in August. And mm. I feel like I could talk a little bit more about it now, you know, cause it affected me in such a way, but the kids are amazing. I mean, we, my wife and I, we've never been able, we've had, we had like, uh, we've had four miscarriages. And at one time we were, uh, we called the St. John Paul center. We were trying to, get have children and stuff but uh you know they they wanted us to do some things that were outside of my catholic faith and i'm like i can only go this far i'm not we're not going to do that mm-hmm. you know as far as i'm we're not doing stem you know we're not doing all that stuff that's yeah, against my faith yeah. i mean we can you know and we had some so we we just stopped trying and but i have filled that need with the kids and the, a, you, i've had fighters call me at two o'clock in the morning you know with issues so, so what do I do? Yeah. So you didn't have biological children, but you have been given and entrusted to these, these children yeah. in your boxing gym, which is more kids than you could even imagine. And yeah. So, yeah. You, you definitely uh, have, have a patriarchal role in that gym because mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of these kids, just like you, I mean, they've come from broken homes and stuff and they're looking for a father figure. And it, it seems like, Somebody in a boxing gym, I know wrestling coaches, boxing coaches, UFC coaches, 
oftentimes they fill that void with a lot of the with a lot of the boys especially so um mm. kudos to you brother yeah good job Michael. i appreciate that thank yeah. you jess thank you guys michael any any parting uh words as we wrap up the the show any anything that you want to say to me? life lessons give yeah. us some life lessons for the audience uh i would say don't use drugs obviously Amen. that's clear uh especially marijuana. It's a gateway drug. I would say don't give up hope. I would say say your rosary every day if you're Catholic. And uh, if you don't have the fullness of faith, at least try to get to church. Make sure you have a prayer life. And I would say work hard and uh, continue to work hard until you take your last breath. Amen. That's right. That's right, Michael. So I really appreciate you coming on today and telling your story because uh, someone needed to hear that today. I don't think yep. it, was, it was an accident that uh, we our, our lives, our paths crossed. And, um, you know, I think the the good Lord wanted you on the show. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny, Ruben, you I don't know how much time you have, but he asked me, he goes, why do you go to the Latin mass? And I, I think I told him, I said, you know, Ruben, uh, you know how you can go to the gym and like hit that 20 minute circuit on the machines mm-hmm. or you yeah. can go over to that other area with all the free weights and, <laughs> you know, just really get down and dirty. Yeah. Because yeah. the Latin mass is the free weights and the Novus Ordo is a circuit. Yeah. The 20 minute circuit. I just don't feel the same, you know? Yeah. You know, that's fun. That, that, that's a good manly way to explain <laughs> yeah. it to a blue collar guy that I, you yeah. know, people can get that picture. I, yeah, I was a I, I was an instructor back in the day at the Jack Lalane's European Health Spas, and we had a program. When you said twenty minutes, it just reminded me it was a twenty minute. It was it was called the Mini Max routine, minimum time and effort with maximum results. All right, and everyone knows that you guys know that because you guys. I mean, you've been in the fitness industry as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you, especially Jesse. You know, I you're not going to get those kind of. There's no, there's no easy way to get results, man. No. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, there is. No. Well, we thank you for coming on, uh, Michael, and continue your good work. And, uh, you know, to like Appreciate it. To your dying breath. And, uh, you know, if, uh, w- if you want to, where's your gym located? How could people reach out to you if they're? Uh, I'm in Victorville, California. And the it's in on 7th Street. What's it's, it called? There's homeless everywhere. And what's it called? <laughs> Elite Boxing. Elite Boxing. Okay. And you can follow him on social media, uh, Elite yes. Boxing. And uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, God Michael. Bless. God bless you, my friend. God bless. Take care. Hope you. to see you soon. Yes, yep. for sure. Thank you. That's a wrap. Good man. Uh, you listen, you've been listening to the uh, Jesus 911. Up next, Gary Bachuda hands on apologetics coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, two Catholics fully vaxxed with the blood of Jesus and fully boosted with the sacraments of the church. This is a wrap for us. We are EOW end of Watch 107. We are out. God bless you. You're Keep out. the faith.